transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. I'm Dennis Fulby, KTSA News, and now the Jack Riccardi Show with Jack Riccardi. And, you know, before we hired Dennis Foley, uh, I was probably the closest thing we had to a hockey fan oh, uh, yeah. in the building. But you are a big-time hockey fan. Yeah. So I- I've got a little homework for you. Okay. okay? An hour from now, we're going to talk about sports dynasties mm-hmm. because people are starting to say, and I think it's premature to say it, that the Kansas City Chiefs are a dynasty. Yeah, I think, they, I think they could be one. I don't think they are yet. Yeah, it's premature. But, but yeah. in discussing, um, you know, what were the greatest sports dynasties? I noticed I, I I jotted down like a little list off the top of my head, and it's it's pretty heavy on basketball. Mm-hmm. I don't have any hockey teams, so I thought you know Dennis would be a good guy. Well, to I can name two balance off the top me of my out head. a little. Yeah, I got All right, give off. me one off the top of your head. Um, New York Islanders in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought you might say the Oilers too. Well, that was that was the other one. <laughs> yeah, the Oilers. Yeah. Um, Maybe the Canadians in the, what, mid to late 70s? Yeah. Although, I mean, yeah. you go back that far and you've, you're still dealing with original six teams. So it's kind of like, it's kind of hard to say a true dynasty when there are only six teams playing. That is true. And thank you for reminding me that I was going back <laughs> to when there were only six teams. I, I go back to when they were playing hockey with uh, sticks made out of stone. So, <laughs> though to be fair, nowadays hockey's so much parody. Like it's hard for any team to really get a dynasty going. Right. Um, I mean, well, close... I think that you could probably say that about all sports. Not only the number of teams, but also like just the the way players move around and yeah. free agency. And because to have a dynasty, you have to keep people in place for you know multiple year consecutive years, right? And people can't get hurt. You know, you got to get hurt. You know, you got salary cap issues or it's all these different dynamics. Um, COVID, whatever else is going to happen. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's hard these days to have a dynasty going. I mean, the closest thing in hockey currently is maybe the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even then, it's, you know, they're not always winning everything all the time. Well, we will, uh, we'll delve into that a little bit more later on. It's good to hear Dennis with us this afternoon. Yeah. Good to have you with us this afternoon. And by the way, welcome to our dreadful little show and join the show anytime at 210-599-5555. So we got the news just a little while ago, uh, about actress Raquel Welch. She was 82. She passed away today. And, um, it's, it's, it shouldn't be shocking when somebody passes away at 82, but it somehow was shocking to hear this about Raquel Welch because it seemed like she did, she never got old. Right, she looked incredible and um, was ubiquitous uh, all through the years. There didn't seem to be like a oh she's gone into retirement or whatever. And, and again, she 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 is a beautiful woman. The accolades coming her way today are largely you know words like sex symbol and most beautiful woman of all time and all this stuff. And, and I was thinking about that as, as I was, you know, absorbing this, this news because Raquel Welch hails from an era when a woman in Hollywood could be famous for, could be accomplished for, could be heralded for her looks. Now, I think we still do that. I mean, when I see... People in the movies today, they're still pretty, right? 
men and women. We're still putting pretty people in movies. But now we have to pretend that that had nothing to do with it. It was just coincidental that they had an incredible figure or long locks of luscious hair, right? That's not... They're actors, people. This is serious. This is a craft. Oh, and by the way, they have a climate policy and a foreign policy, and they're against this and they're for that, and you've got to, you know, Raquel Welch, what you see is what you get. She knew why she was in the, in the movies. She knew what people wanted. She gave it to them. She did it with class. She didn't cross any lines. She didn't want to cry. I, I think you, I think you could say, uh, she was a woman that piloted her career with great confidence. She wasn't objectified or victimized. But she was famous because she was beautiful. And it's, it's funny to me. And she was even able in roles that she took later in life to kind of poke fun at Raquel Welch. When I was looking at a, a list of her movie and television credits it, toward the end of her uh, career, more often than not, when she appeared in something, she was as herself and and was fine with that. Um, the other thing that, that I remember about her, uh, I mean, I was a little kid, but I remember reading about it later on. Um, she went to Vietnam with Bob Hope and some of the other touring stars and entertained the troops. And... You know, you can say what you want about the Vietnam War, but the people that took the time and brought a little bit of home and a little bit of comfort to those guys over there, um, they will never be forgotten by that generation. Um, that is, you know, it, it, every one of our wars, I guess, going back to World War II, there have been touring companies, USO shows and celebs and singers and so forth going over to wherever they could. Um, but I think there's something about uh, people from the entertainment world crossing that line and going to v- Vietnam, entertain the troops of Vietnam, that's just a little bit different, right? And she did that. So we'll talk about her a little bit today. Uh, KTSA News is reporting that uh, City Councilman Clayton Perry probably is not going to run for re-election. And uh formal announcement coming tomorrow. Remember that he took a leave af- after the uh, DUI crash in i think what november and uh there was talk that he was going to run again and we discussed on the air do people want him to run again is it the right thing to do to run again now it looks like he's not going to we're going to talk with a candidate who has already declared uh for the district 10 seat coming up later on uh in our show um but i want to get your thoughts on clayton perry and that decision and then uh nikki haley has made it official she is now officially a candidate for president in 2024, the former governor of South Carolina and ambassador, U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, uh, did a rally in Charleston and uh, said that the country is falling behind, our future is slipping away from us, our leaders are failing, Joe Biden's a failure, and it's time for a new generation of leaders, and I'm it. And I, I've said this before on the show, and... We've kind of glancingly talked about Nikki Haley. I don't dislike her, and I, and I just to get that out of the way, I, I don't dislike her. I've I've listened to her speak. I've watched her. Um, I think she's smart. I think she's done some good things. I, I I get no. I feel no enthusiasm for this candidacy. This does not light a fire for me at all. 
And I finally figured out today why I, this isn't working for me. And it's because Nikki Haley is running for the Republican nomination like she's a Democrat. She is emphasizing all the things that a Democrat would emphasize, like new generation, I'm a woman, I'm Indian American, et cetera, et cetera. Those are identity politics things that that play in the Democratic Party. I'm not saying Democrats will like her because they won't. They'll call her worse than Hitler. But I mean, but I mean, if she was a Democrat, if she had policies that aligned with the far left, then yes, those would be the those would be your calling cards, right? Those would be your opening moves, your opening chess moves on the board as a candidate. But that doesn't. I don't think that matters to the people that will be voting in Republican primaries. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but. Um, my, my my concern about somebody like Nikki Haley is that other than her service with Trump, which certainly puts her on the board, I, I, she seems to be missing in action on all the battles you and I have been fighting over the last couple of years. Like, where was she on COVID? Where was she on Twitter deplatforming? Where was she on free speech? Where, In other words, I... I get the feeling that Nikki Haley has been busy being part of the establishment and now would like to run against the establishment. She's smart, which means she knows that's what you have to do and what you should do. She's hitting every note on the page. It's just that I don't really believe she feels the song, you know? And, and that's just me. We're going to ask you on the JR poll about her today and where you are in Nikki Haley, but that's just how I feel. I'm not, I'm just one guy. 210 599 55. And then I was reading, um, the legislature has a bill. This is the fourth consecutive Texas legislature to try this. The legislature has a bill that would allow illegal immigrants in Texas to obtain a Texas driver's license. House Bill 1869, uh, would ease up on the documentary requirements that you and I have to comply with to get a driver's license. And it would apply to potentially hundreds of thousands or maybe up to a million illegal immigrants in Texas. And the argument from the state rep who is proposing it is that it would make the roads safer uh, because they would have licenses. And they're driving right now, he says, you know they're driving, but they're driving without licenses. And then just... Alongside that, I was reading last night, and I saw a story in the news last night about Rhode Island. They've got a bill, also sponsored by Democrats, that would grant cities and towns the ability to let non-citizens, so not only illegal immigrants, but legal resident aliens, vote in local elections. So in Texas, it's let's give driver's licenses, or let's make driver's licenses available to illegal immigrants in Rhode Island, and there's several other states that have already done this, let's let non-U.S. citizens vote in elections. Now, here's, here's my question to you. Instead of asking uh, or, or framing this in terms of the illegal immigrant or the non-citizen, why would you, the citizen, want this? I don't 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 give me an argument about fairness. Don't give me an argument about how we got it. They're driving anyway. I, I want to frame this in terms of 
what's in it for me and you. Because as far as I can tell, when it comes to the voting part, we've already got people that are voting in ignorance of their own interests. They are voting for stuff that is actually hurting them. So our problem is not that we don't have enough people voting. It's that we don't have enough informed voters. I'm not worried about the turnout. I'm, I'm worried about what people know that they're voting for or the, or the, the, the actual uh, separation of powers and definition of powers for the offices they're voting for. We're, we're not in, in, in some sort of shortage of voters. So that's not what would benefit us or benefit me. And then on the driver's license thing, so if you're telling me that people are just not, licenses don't matter, people are driving without them, then how would giving them licenses make the roads safer? And I guess they're going to say, well, because they'd have to pass the test and do that. But but see, I, I again, this seems framed around their needs, and I'm not hating on them. I'm not hating on illegal immigrants. I mean, I, I understand why they come here. But you, you're not even trying to market this, if you will, as a benefit to legal American residents. And, you know, I, I, to be honest, um, it's insulting. When you and I have to jump through hoops, and and you know what I mean, paperwork and press seven and press three and press pen. When you think about all the, the bureaucratic rigmarole we go through, and it's getting worse every day, our interactions with government, our interactions with companies, worse, more complicated every day. You have to prove that you're you 13 different ways every time you freaking turn around. And then you have a politician say, let's make it easier, but only for this group of people. And again, not hating them, but really, <laughs> you, you're, you're concerned. You think your job is to make it easier for them to get a driver's license? Why not make it easier for me to get a driver's license or you to get a driver's license? Um, We'll talk about the, the voting thing and the driver's license thing for non-U.S. citizens. Texas is trying to do driver's license for non-citizens, uh, illegal immigrants. Uh, Rhode Island, the latest state, and there's others already that have done this, to try to allow uh, all residents of a place to vote, whether they are here legally or not. If you go back to the earliest democracy, like the way it was done in places like France and England, you had to be a landowner to vote. You had to hold stakes to vote. And you can see right away the, 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 the flaws with that in the modern world. I mean, that would exclude younger people. That would exclude uh, people that are uh, poor. That, that would exclude a lot of people. But the point of that was, or one of the points of that was to make sure that if you were voting, you had skin in the game of the decision that was being made. Now, again, our, our history is very checkered. We've done a lot of blatantly discriminatory things to prevent people from voting, to exclude uh, types of people and races of people. I'm not, I'm not endorsing any of that. I'm certainly not endorsing the idea that you'd have to own land. However... However, there is some basic kernel of truth in the idea that 
um, if you if you've moved into a community, if you've just arrived in a place, that doesn't necessarily mean you have a stake in the place. I mean, I think we could solve this problem very easily if we just pointed out to all of the places that are boohooing about the bust-in immigrants. You're saying you don't want them. You're saying you can't handle them. You're saying they're overwhelming your communities. So why would you want them to vote? How could they vote? They just got there. They don't know anything about the issues or the candidates. If you propose that to these so-called sanctuary cities, of course, they'd laugh at you. But this is exactly the thinking, right? We don't. We can skip the part where you have citizenship and you have stakes in the community and you have skin in the game of whatever the outcome is, whether it's an election for a position or a, a, a bond for a school or whatever it is. We're, we're skipping the most important part, which is I know what I'm doing and I know that I'm going to live with the consequences of what I'm doing. And so I guess I just wonder, when do they get around to explaining to law-abiding, legal American citizens, whether they're immigrants or not, what, what is in it for you? Because the, 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 the most obvious conclusion you have to draw from politicians doing this in places like Texas and Rhode Island is the replacement theory idea that they, they're tired of the people they already have, they can't run their lines by us anymore. They need some new people. They need to play to some new audiences. And this is how they're going to do it. 210-599-5555. David is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. David, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack. Um, I've got a way to make roads safer and less expensive for all of us who drive. Uh, it's real simple. I spent years in Australia. Once a year, when you get your car inspected by the state, just like you do here, you also have to prove to the state that you have full coverage, minimum coverage. In other words, just liability. Full coverage paid in full, non-refundable for a year. That way, every car in Australia, and they color code their plates. So the, the policeman driving down the road says, hey, on the end of this month, purple expires. So they're looking for purple plates. So every car in Australia is insured and inspected. Now, when I pay insurance here in San Antonio, I have to cover myself, and my insurance provider is fully aware that half of the cars in San Antonio aren't insured. Mm -hmm. So if I get hit by somebody who's not insured and it's their fault, my insurance company still has to pay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons insurance is so expensive here. The other right. thing is they actually do a very good inspection down there. So they call it a roadworthy certificate. So they make sure that the car that somebody's driving, number one, is safe, mm -hmm. and number two, is insured, and they can enforce it. Okay. Now, it's it's very inexpensive. David, I, I love this idea, but they, they, they're, not, they're not interested in what you're you're talking about. I mean, I am, but they're not, and you know, you know why they're not. You, in other words, you're, sure. you, you and I might as well talk to the wall as, as, as to propose this, because that's not what, they're not interested in safer roads. Well, they're, they're interested in getting reelected, Jack. The system works for them because they always get reelected. So they're not. Well, they're, they're interested in getting reelected by bringing new players onto the game board who haven't yet 
figured out that they're running a line of jive on us. They will eventually, and then it'll be time for even newer people. But for now, the voters they have are very disappointing to them because they keep figuring them out. I agree. If you look at how the Democrats go to register voters, they always go to youth. I was young once, and I was a moron, like most young people are. They go register at high schools. They go register at colleges. They never register at a trade school, anybody. Yeah. They don't ever. It, 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 but that, this speaks to the point about quantity versus quality. We're, we're not we're not short on voters. We're not short on drivers. What what we what we have are people voting, and I I think you would agree driving, uh, who just don't know what the hell they're doing. But David, I got to hold you there. Good points. Um, it is uh, a, a, just a continuing unfolding, uh, unrolling nightmare uh, for people uh, in and around. Uh, Palestine, Ohio. Our next guest is there, has been there, the site of this uh, train derailment and chemical spill and release into the air. Uh, Nick Sortor is a video journalist. Uh, he's been tweeting about it and reporting uh, on it, as very few other people have, and so we wanted to talk to him. And Nick, thank you for making time for us. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I know that you've talked to people, you know, actual residents, and I want to get into that. But first, I, I, I'm a little puzzled by the pronouncements from <clears throat> the the governor of Ohio that um, he he's now uh, being quoted today as saying the air quality is what it was before the the train crash happened, and he is basing that on Ohio National Guard uh, testing that's been done. I, I don't want to sound paranoid, but if you're the guy that made the decision to blow up the, the tankers and release this stuff or, or quote-unquote burn it off, why would I believe you when you're saying, hey, I've tested it and everything's fine? Right, and, and you're not the only one here, or you're not the only one that thinks that. None of the, none of the residents here believe anything that they're being told by the government at this point. Um, because you know, when it comes to Mike DeWine especially, they definitely don't trust him because he directly contradicted himself yesterday when he when he said that uh, that you know recommended that people use bottled water, okay? But after declaring the city was safe last week and telling mm-hmm. everybody they could come back, I don't know mm-hmm. about you, but I don't consider anywhere where the the water has toxic chemicals in it as a safe place to go for me and my family. Yeah, yeah. Dead fish are usually a giveaway. You don't have to be a nature. A nature guy to figure that out. Um, yep. Well, and I so, just saw that myself actually just now, um, and I saw uh, there's a creek behind somebody's house that I was just at. That it, it's a rainbow now. Uh, what? Are, what? Are, are, so you say people water, don't believe you. people don't believe the government? What? What? What do people you talk to? What? What are they saying? I mean, who? You know, like are they people that came back? Or are they people that never left? What? What are they telling you? Well, the, the a lot of the people that. Uh, that that left had to come back. They didn't have a choice, uh, you know, because it's not it's not the wealthiest town in America. You know, it's just it's a it's a small small knit town. You know, they lost one of their major employers uh, a, a while ago, and so the, the town's really taken a hit from that. A lot of these people can't afford to stay out of town. They can't go just stay in a hotel. And even if Norfolk Southern or whatever says that they're going to reimburse it. You have to have the cash to put down first, right? right. You don't have to pay for right. it, and you might get a reimbursement. So a lot of those people were forced to come back. There were some that couldn't leave at all. Um, and, you know, they feel helpless here. 
They feel absolutely helpless because they feel like they're getting no support from anybody. And they can't believe anything anybody is telling them, not the federal government, not the state government. And there's a lot of distrust of the local government as well. It has been unbelievable um, how light and casual the national media coverage has been of this. I'm not going to say it's been ignored, but it's been been heavily downplayed. Um, you, you know that if this had happened near a major city uh, where you know they couldn't ignore it, it would be different. But do, do people there feel like their own country has forgotten them? Absolutely, absolutely. Now, what they're really worried about is because there has been a little bit of an uptick in uh, in in media coverage, and I do believe that it's it's folks like you and I that are now sitting here highlighting this that it's forcing uh, the the national media to kind of you know hit on the story a little bit, which is really nice. But at some point, if the pressure is kept up, the federal government and the state government are actually going to have to pay attention to these people rather than just try to brush it under the rug and act like everything is fine. Uh, I mean, there have been history. There's been histories of events like this that have happened uh, in Centralia, Pennsylvania, where a fire was set in a mine and the federal government tried to cover it up when it was releasing toxic fumes. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. isn't unprecedented. And, uh, you know, time, uh, time will tell. But it might be too late for a lot of these people. Mm. Well, and also, I have to think, I'm I'm by no means any kind of a scientist, but it seems like you would probably not know for many years, right, what the effects will be on people's health, on the birth of babies and things like that, right? Right, exactly, which makes it much more difficult to ever uh, ever be able to recover anything from, you know, how do you you prove that Norfolk Southern was was liable for it, right? Mm. Uh, I mean, th- this is what th- this is what one resident uh, called it yesterday. She said it was it was their Camp Lejeune moment. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Y- you know, which is which is really a sad thought because that was a terrible situation there too. Uh, and again, another one of those things that the federal government tried to cover up for the longest time. Yeah, yeah. We're talking with journalist but Nick Sortor on KTSA. Uh, Nick, let me ask you this: a lot of people I've read, uh, just people that are that have to be there and are there like first responders and stuff, are all saying they're having symptoms, they're having coughs and headaches and other things. What are the people, what are you feeling like? How are you feeling? And what are the people you talk to describing, just in terms of their personal health right now? Uh, So headaches. Everybody has headaches. I've had a headache the entire time I've been here, and I'm not exaggerating. Um, Once you get into the town itself, you, I mean, the majority of people that I talk to have, it's even been described as migraines because the smell is, is, it's so strong, right? You know, you do eventually get used to it, which is really bad, you know, in and of itself because then you stop paying attention to it. Um, but the headache still doesn't go away. So there's something in the air here that is causing all of these people to have constant headaches. Uh, and you know, like I said, I'm personally, I have a headache right now as I'm talking to you. Yeah. Uh, and you do, you have people that actually are, uh, they're feeling ill, but they're not actually sick, you know, where they've got stomach problems or, or, um, you know, they, they feel woozy, they feel nauseous. Do you, um, has anyone said to you with any specificity what they think should be the response in other words we've we've established the response is not good but what what do these people want from 
Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg or, 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 or what have you? I mean, what is it they would like to see happen? The first thing they want, they want acknowledgement from these people. Because right now it looks like Pete Buttigieg and, you know, finally he had to mention it on Monday after he started getting absolutely railed in the media for it or by some media sources, not most of them, but um, some prominent ones. If they could see somebody, like, you could restore so much confidence in, in this town and to the townspeople if one of them would just, it doesn't even have to be Joe Biden, that would be nice, but you just have Pete Buttigieg, just have him stop in for the day. Because then it, it, it reinforces the idea that, okay, there, there might be something done about this. All hope may not be lost. But the fact that Pete Buttigieg will barely even talk about the situation, they don't have any hope that he's going to come here. And then they assume as soon as this media coverage goes away, that's it. They're screwed. Nobody's going to be here anymore. Well, and it it is, you know, I don't want to make light, but normally you have like, if you have a flood, if you have a hurricane, if you have any kind of natural disaster, let alone something like this, you can't keep politicians away, right? I mean, they... The, the most right. dangerous place to be is in, at a disaster site between a politician and a camera. So it is striking that yeah. for how many days has it been now, none of them have gone there, right? Twelve days. Today That's got to be a record. Day. Yeah, well, you're, you're 100% right, though. I was covering the Mayfield, uh, Kentucky tornadoes uh, about a year and a couple of months ago, and you know Joe Biden was right there. Mitch McConnell was there. Rand Paul was there. Everybody yeah. was there. These people can't even get most of their state, uh, the uh, state legislators or anybody to to even talk about it. You know, state legislators. This is their this is their job. You know, to to represent the people here, and they don't even seem to be doing that. Well, and you wonder: is it that they don't care, which is easy to conclude, or have they been told by their scientific people, "Hey, you you don't, Mr. Secretary, Mr. President, Mr. Governor, you don't want to go there. You know, don't." You do not want to spend any time there right now. It's not safe. Um, are people holding this against the railroad, or are they thinking this is an infrastructure failure? Or what, Where are they at on that to the extent that you can tell? Most people blame the, uh, the railroad. Most people blame the railroad, uh, Norfolk Southern, uh, due to the fact that they all know where this started. They all know where uh, it started I mean, like 15 miles, there's video, there's video of right. the train car, the wheel, uh, right. literally glowing hot, sitting off the side of the rail. And there are sensors along the track that are supposed mm-hmm. to pick up on that, and they mm-hmm. all failed. Just out of, you know, just pure And, and who, I, I'm, I'm curious, who, whose sensors are those? Are those the, are those the, 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 the railroads? In other words, that's, that's their stuff that's supposed to pick that up? Uh, well, Norfolk Southern owns the tracks, uh, okay. so I would I would assume that, and, and there, uh, there probably is some sort of regulation on it that forces yep. them to do that. Uh, but apparently, no no maintenance needed. The Department of Transportation is being uh, uh, they are upset with them right now because they want to hear that there's going to be something fixed. There's going to be new regulations on mm-hmm. Norfolk Southern or something like that, um, just to make it because now they're afraid this is going to happen again. Trains mm-hmm. roll through here every ten minutes. Uh, right behind the house, and there's, you know, and if nothing changes, then it can very well happen again. Yeah, that's what a thing to live with. Um, your work has been incredible. Uh, I, I recommend that uh, people check uh, check it out, and they can follow you on Twitter. Uh, it's Nick Sortor, S O R T O R. I hope you'll come back with us, and I really appreciate the time today. I know you're busy, and I appreciate it.
Absolutely, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Nick. Uh, let's talk about this. 210-599-5555. I can't help but think, you know, again, I'm kind of juxtaposing. So do a split screen in your head. And on one side, the pictures you've seen, the suffering you're seeing and described by Nick. And then on the other side of your screen, you've got people like Buttigieg and the EPA administrator talking about things like environmental racism. I, I don't I don't even know what that is. And it's like you have people that aren't doing their job but have made up a bunch of new problems or responsibilities that they would rather work on, but they're not doing their job. I mean, when you have homework, don't get a coloring book out. Do your homework. This stuff is their job. It's their work. Don't make up a new problem and say you'll ride to the rescue. This is how it started, you know. This is how the um, collapse of the Democratic Party in the South and in Appalachia, these are literally the people they lost first, you know. And uh, James Webb wrote a great book about this. Uh, about how the Democratic Party forgot Appalachia, forgot Ohio and Connecticut, uh, excuse me, Ohio and Kentucky and West Virginia and places like that. And, um, you know, history's repeating itself. And then, you know, who remembered them? I don't have to say his name. You know who I mean? The guy that made them feel like they mattered and he saw them and he was hearing them came out of nowhere. And everybody was like, what? There's a lot of people in that part of the country that do not feel in any way, shape, or form connected to any of the elites, the so-called leaders of this country. They are the heart and soul of this country. They're the backbone of this country. But once again, they come last. And that's, I think, I'm sorry, but I think that's part of the Palestine story. I really do. And then the problem we have right now is, just like we have protesters out there in the streets that, that want to create problems and then crusade against them, they want to restage battles that have already been fought so they can have their, their glory. I mean, it, it isn't enough for them to acknowledge the greatness of the civil rights movement, to acknowledge the greatness of people that achieved breakthroughs for them on whose shoulders they stand they just pretend none of that happened and they claim we got to do it all again we're going backwards on race we've never been it's never been worse see those same people when they get into government they don't want to do the stuff that you have to do they don't want to do the potholes and the sidewalks and make the make stuff work so they invent things like environmental racism. Pete Buttigieg the other day gave a speech about how construction sites are too white. And I'm wondering what construction sites he's been to. I don't know what ones he's describing. But, but that isn't even a, 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 a metric I can wrap my head around. But no time for this in Palestine. So we were talking about sports dynasties, right? And yes. you gave us a couple of good hockey uh, selections. Yeah. Because my list is is missing hockey teams. I, I think I have to say that I know of, I, I, I was too young to see it, but I think the greatest sports dynasty I, I know of 
and I'm probably a little bit biased because of where I'm from, would be like the the Celtics of the late 50s to the late 60s. I mean, title after title. That's the Bill Russell era, star of the team, coaching the team. I mean, just total dominance uh, in that uh, in that era. And then the one a lot of us grew up with uh, was would be the Bulls. You know, yeah. the 90s. Chicago Bulls, the, the the Michael Jordan Bulls. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Maybe the you got. I guess you got to throw the Steelers in there in the seventies. Um, who else? Who comes to mind? I mean, the Spurs had a dynasty, really. The yeah. Spurs from ninety nine to the mid to late two thousands, um, very dominant. Uh, pretty much every like two years, they were winning a championship. You can make the case for the Patriots, probably, in recent times uh, with the NFL. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't put them on my list because I guess, although I think of that as a 20-year, you know, Brady and Belichick reign, they had like a like an 8- or 10-year gap Yeah, where they did not win any Super Bowls. So maybe they had like too many dynasties, but I, don't, I wouldn't consider that all one. I mean, you got to kind of win every... Yeah. Like every couple of years at least, right? Yeah, it's got to be when you're starting the season like, oh, I mean, that team's clearly going to be a favorite to win the championship. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, that's a, that's probably a fair assessment because, yeah, with, with the Patriots, that almost in a way did feel like two mini dynasties, you know, early Tom Brady and then later Tom Brady, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. Tom Brady, not a Patriot, and, you know, mm-hmm. winning more in Tampa Bay. And, and, you know, the point you made earlier is a good one, which is that it, it's probably going to be very hard to do this kind of thing uh, going forward with free agency, with lack of, you know, staying power. People just aren't loyal to a team or a city. Um, parity among teams, expansion, more teams. The whole, you know, everything is sort of geared or gated with the, with the drafts and so forth to rewarding uh, mediocrity. So you, you 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 kind of can't see it, right? I mean, it's hard to imagine it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's there. The leagues are designed to prevent dynasties. It's it's you know, almost if you have a dynasty now, it's an even bigger accomplishment because you fought the man, you fought the system, and you beat it. And now you almost have like a dynasty of play, like like LeBron James is a dynasty. Yeah. <laughs> One man, but not on one team. Yeah. yeah, or or you know stuff like that. So I don't know. And then you know we were talking yesterday about the baseball, uh, Major League Baseball making the bases bigger. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, I don't. Just not too banning, sure about that. I, I feel like we're, I feel like we're one commissioner decision away from a T at the uh, at home plate. You know, <laughs> or just playing you know virtual baseball out there. You know, why even play the game? Just have a simulation run. That's right. Let him keep batting till he gets a hit. Yeah. All right. Coming up, it's a, it's a big story today uh, in San Antonio and at KTSA.com. Uh, Clayton Perry looks like he's not going to run for re-election in District 10. We'll talk to the candidate who wants to replace him as the District 10 City Councilman. That's coming up in about, uh, I think about 15, 20 minutes or so. 210-599-5555, as we've uh, already covered the, the voting and the driver's licenses and Nikki Haley and Palestine, Ohio. And then, you know, I've been reading more about the uh, the shooter at Michigan State University. And we told you yesterday that this guy, Anthony McRae, was um, on the radar because he had been in the system. He had been busted for illegally carrying a concealed weapon in 2019. And... 
the George Soros-funded prosecutor up there, uh, a woman by the name of Carol Simon, um, went easy on him, let him plead to the misdemeanors and let the felonies slide so that he only got a short probation because of equity. She was interested in equity. And now they're asking her about it. And she's shifted. Now she's saying, well, we need to address gun violence. Hey, you had him. He had committed a crime. It involved a gun. I'm not saying that the only way or, or the, the perfect way to make communities safer is to enforce gun laws, but it's a good start. It's a, you know, it's before you ask me for a new law, it would be great to see you seriously enforcing the ones you have and enforcing them regardless of the color of the perpetrator. So, Don't ask me for more power when you have the power to fight this kind of crime and keep a menace like this guy McRae off the streets in the first place. He had a gun, and he was on the street because you made a decision not based on the safety of the students at Michigan State University or the community around it. You made a decision based on the skin color of the guy you had. And you made that decision to make yourself, Carol Simon, look better and to make the numbers look DEI perfect. And this is where we're at. Now, I want to be clear and I want to be honest about this. I'm not one of those people who believes that if you had told this McRae guy, hey, don't ever pick up a gun again, or you're going away. I'm not one of those people who believes, oh, well, he, he wouldn't have done it. Let's be clear about that. These are not law-abiding people to begin with. It said gun-free zone, where he went and shot all those poor people. That didn't work for him either. But if the charges had not been dismissed, you would have at least put him on notice. You would have at least spelled out, this is where it's at. This is what your future could look like. It's just, I don't know how you get, I don't know how you can face the, the survivors or the families of the dead. How in the world, I mean, you can say what you want to the media and you can say what you want in a press release, but I don't know how you face the families and say, well, we had him, but we let him go because of equity. I think you might have seen it was in the news today. It's been all over the news today. There was a scene in the courtroom, they were sentencing the guy that shot up that supermarket in Buffalo. And remember, he was targeting black people. He was trying to kill black people, and he did. And they were sentencing him, and the mo- he got the maximum. He got life, which is the most you can get in New York. Um, but somebody, one of the family members, lunged at him, tried to get their hands around his neck, and, and didn't quite get there. That, that's That's what I'm talking about. There was somebody who is is confronting, facing the fact that they're never going to see their loved one again. I mean, there's nothing you can say that makes that okay, makes that right. But, boy, to say we were doing it for equity, 
That I, I, I don't know how. Good luck with that, okay? Remembering the late, great Raquel Welch. We'll be talking more about her coming up. Uh, she passed away today at the age of 82. Here she is in one of her most critically acclaimed roles, the 1970s movie Myra Breckenridge. How do you do? Come right on in, little lady. Take the weight off them pretty little feet while I finish my last bow back to the old corral. So, you want to be a star? Something about you tells me I should give you a chance to. What do you say? Can you take the uh, heartache and the torture and the heat of them five kilowatt lamps over to MGM? Fact is, you remind me of a certain one of our former successful students, a Miss Gloria Swanson. You've heard the name, I'm sure. You mean she was one of your students? You bet. <laughs> Fact is, my students is always saying, Uncle Buck would want for you. We'd still be warm in that seat back in Schwab's drugstore. Really? I thought that was where Lana Turner was discovered. Lana Turner put her sweet little fanny right where you're sitting now. Lana says, what say we put you in a sweater and make a movie? And we did. (laughs) (laughs) What's your name, honey? Myra Breckenridge. Breckenridge? Yes. I'm the widow of your late nephew, Myron, and I've come to collect a half a million dollars. Mm. Um, So there was a woman we talked about on the show last year named Jennifer Say. I don't know if you remember this or not. Jennifer Say was um, one of the top executives, I forget her title, but, you know, in the E-suite at Levi's. So huge company, iconic brand, young, fast-rising executive. And um, she was let go. She was warned. And she was let go. Because she was speaking up in, in her private time and on her private socials uh, against masks on toddlers, against closing schools, or in favor of reopening schools, and things like that. She was looking at what she could see with her own eyes was happening to children, and she was watching what scientists and data were backing up. She advocated about and on behalf of children. She did not have any crazy conspiracy theories about COVID. She wasn't telling you to take this or take that. She wasn't, she wasn't telling people not to get the vaccine. She was, she was really focused on, are we doing more harm than good? And are we even doing any good with these COVID restrictions on children? And for that, she was censored, deplatformed, threatened, and fired. She says, by the way, that they not only warned her she would be fired, but they tried to get her to quit. They made they made life at Levi's really unpleasant. Now, think about this for a minute. This is a young woman in the modern American workplace. But they finally, these executives finally found something that trumped... DEI and, um, you know, uh, HR and what have you. And so they, they pushed her out. And she's not saying, poor me and I'm a victim. In fact, she says she would do it again. She took, she's taking her lumps. She, she, she accepts the consequences because when you, when you do speak freely, when you do speak your opinion, which you have a right to do as an American, you also have to take the consequences of it. That's, that's fair. Here's what she's saying, though, and I think this is a really important thing to consider. And I call it truth 
or tribe. She says, the people that came after me claimed they were speaking the truth, claimed they were defending science. But now we know the masks were not working. The school closures were not working. We now know that we did irreparable harm to the education and the psyches, the souls of our little ones. Rather than recoil in shame, rather than admit a terrible mistake has been made, the people that gave us all of that are unrepentant, unbowed. They're not apologizing to Jennifer Say. They're not giving anybody their jobs back, their platforms back. And they're now moving on to other things they're, they're lecturing us about. Now it's climate change. You know, someday we're going to find out they were wrong about that too. Someday we're going to find out they were, they were wrong about and, and did harm rather than good as they tried to ban this. You need to eat crickets, not mead, and you need to not have a gas stove, and you need to drive this electric car. Oh, you can't afford an electric car? Well, then you just don't need a car. See, because they're not learning and being humbled by being wrong, they're going to continue to be wrong. And that's what I call truth or tribe. What matters more? The facts? I mean, I could see if they said, boy, we, we thought we knew what we were talking about, and we did not. We thought we had the facts on our side, and we did not. We see now that we did a lot of harm. Or is it tribe? Tribe, if tribe is your most important thing, then you never admit you're wrong. The tribe is always right. The tribe comes first. See, Jennifer Say violated that. She was disloyal to the tribe. She was being loyal to her heart. She was being loyal to children and to her her what she could see with her own lion eyes, as they say. But she 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 betrayed the tribe. You can't do that. Look at what happens when a person of color expresses themselves as a conservative. We had on this show yesterday an Asian, a young Asian-American, 19 years old, Vince Dow. His crime is betraying the tribe, betraying the brand. It doesn't matter that he's got logic and facts on his side, just like Jennifer Say did. You can't do it. So what matters more in 2023 America? Does truth matter more? Or does tribe matter more? Now, Cynically, you're, you're probably already saying, well, Jack, it's obviously tribe. Why are you even asking this? Well, I'm saying it because the people that we're talking about, the people that took their uh, revenge on Jennifer Say, the people that now won't take Jennifer Say's call, they described themselves, if you remember, as protecting the truth. They were its protectors. Oh, and democracy, too. They were saving that. Isn't it interesting that the people who claimed to be, you know, bodyguarding truth, preserving democracy, were really the greatest threats to it, did the greatest harm to it. And the reason I bring this up, you may be tired of hearing about COVID, you may just want to forget about it, put it behind you. I I would guard against that. I wouldn't let go of COVID just yet, because the model is still there, and they're doing it right now with climate change. And they are 
they've the, the, the people I'm describing, the people that went after her at Levi's, the the teachers unions, the politicians, this blob of elitists that absolutely could not be talked to, could not be debated, could not be reasoned with. They just angrily waved their clipboards at us. Those people are not, they haven't learned a thing. In fact, I I think they might actually feel even better about themselves, which is crazy because they are drowning in evidence that they did more harm than good. You need to know that about them. KTSA News is reporting today that City Councilman Clayton Perry is reportedly not going to seek re-election and reportedly will be uh, making that official tomorrow. Our next guest is already saying he's running for that District 10 City Council seat. And joining us now in the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line is candidate Mark White. Uh, Mr. White, good afternoon. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So I was a little confused in the things I was reading in the Express News and the San Antonio Report. Were you going to run whether he was in the race or not, or was your candidacy conditional on him not seeking another term? Yeah, we were going to run either way. You know, in my opinion, it's time for, um, you know, leadership for the district uh, that can really help take us forward. You know, Councilman Perry's done a, done a great job on, on city council over the past six years and, and certainly want to um, continue a lot of uh, what he was doing there. Uh, but for me, you know, we need a strong, effective leadership going forward. And so regardless of what the councilman was going to do, uh, we were going to get in this race. That seat, for whatever reason, seems to be the most likely to be conservative seat in in issue after issue, vote after vote, going back to Clayton Perry's predecessors. How do you stack up, I guess, on the spectrum compared to Perry and and the others that have held that seat? Uh, Well, (laughs) you know, these city council spots are are, uh, are really supposed to be non-partisan seats. But uh, but I'll tell you, I'm a... uh, I'm a conservative uh, at heart. You know, I, I believe in uh, trying to eliminate crime. Uh, I'm a guy that believes in low taxes. Uh, I'm a guy that believes in advocating for small businesses. Um, you know, the District 10 seat has always been one uh, that's advocated for conservative mm-hmm. principles. Right. Uh, it's been one that has always supported uh, its neighborhoods, uh, and that's certainly what I intend to do. Um, um, when we win this and, and get on the council in May. Have you spoken to Clayton Perry about your decision? Is he endorsing you, or do you want his endorsement? Uh, I have spoken with Councilman Perry. Um, I fully anticipate uh, that he is going to um, support our campaign. Um, and, and sure, I, I absolutely want his support, just like I, I want everybody's support. Um, my goal here is to unify the district, uh, be a voice for everybody in the district, and again, focus on those core issues that, that really matter to folks. You know, low crime, uh, keeping taxes low, um, things like that. You know, creating economic opportunities for everybody in the district. What kinds of things are the, 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 the voters of District 10 saying to you? I mean, what, what, are, what is the most commonly mentioned issue or item? 
Um, crime, without a doubt, it's crime. Uh, I think that uh, what's gone on in the past uh, three or four years uh, here in San Antonio, um, you know, we've got a got a homeless issue. I think that is that is contributing somewhat uh, to the crime problem we have, and people want to know that that they're safe um, in their homes. And so I hear that a lot. And uh, as, as city councilman, um, that'll certainly be one of my top priorities. All right. Uh, candidate Mark White in City Council District 10. Hope we can get you back and appreciate the, the visit tonight. Thank you. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, 542 on San Antonio's News Talk Station, 550-1071-KTSA. Talk about that. Get your votes in on the JR poll. Um, statistics are always a little bit dangerous on radio. They can... It's it's hard to hear a number and kind of wrap your head around it, plus the eyes glaze over. I don't want to hit you with a lot of numbers, but th- this to me is interesting because it makes me wonder how this works. I read an article that says the labor force participation rate is plummeting, and it is particularly plummeting among um, basically young and middle-aged men. of men aged 30 to 60 in the Midwest are not working. 40%. So when you hear that the unemployment rate is low, and it is, remember that the unemployment rate is a calculation of or a measurement of who's getting work Versus who's looking for work, okay? It's a measure of employed, looking for jobs. And participation rate doesn't, doesn't affect that. In other words, the unemployment rate is the success rate, or failure rate, for the people that are trying to work. It doesn't measure, it doesn't count, the people that are not. If you tell me that 40%, roughly, give or take, it varies from state to state, but roughly 40% of men in their 30s, 40s, and 50s are not working in the Midwest, how are they paying the bills? Or who is paying their bills? Are they, are they, are they living with their parents? Is, do, they have, do they have a woman going to work every day? And are they stay-at-home boyfriends? I mean, I'm asking because I don't know. I, I, and the article, which, by the way, I think this is insane. The article doesn't even address that. Doesn't even doesn't even seem curious. The writer of the article, it was uh, ChicagoBusiness.com, has no interest in this, apparently, or she couldn't find the answer. You tell me, forty percent of able-bodied working-age men in the Midwestern United States. So we're talking about like Illinois, Indiana. Ohio, Michigan, not working. How are, how are they paying the bills? And I put this to somebody earlier today, and he said, well, they, they probably, uh, you know, there was all that COVID aid, and the savings rate went up during COVID, and uh, which is true. Those things are true. I mean, you were getting checks. Savings rate went up, partly because you, there were a lot of things you couldn't spend the money on. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I didn't want to insult the guy saying this to me, but that doesn't sound like the right answer because, 
yes, that was true. If you were asking this question in 2021, that might be a, a reasonable thesis. But it's 2023. I don't know about you. My savings are dwindling, not, you know, <laughs> bountiful. Uh, there hasn't been a check from the government in my mailbox in a long time. So how are they doing it? Who, who's supporting these guys? Um, and, and is this a, is this a good thing? I mean, politicians are patting themselves on the back for that low unemployment rate. But there is something seriously wrong with a society in which able-bodied people are not working. Now, the other day we told you that a big part of the uh, job growth that President Biden keeps touting, as if he invented it, is actually people taking second jobs and sometimes third jobs. It isn't people, you know, suddenly elevating out of poverty or taking a big leap forward to the American dream. These are people that are now working harder just to maintain. And then I read this, 40% not working. What do you think is going on here? Um, You know, I have a dog. You've even perhaps heard the dog during the show. Do you have a pet? Do you have a dog or a cat or something like that? Well, um, you're not alone. One out of every ten households in America has a pet. Uh, And... You don't need me to explain the benefits of having a pet. But if you really love animals, you need to get rid of that pet. If you really love animals, you need to cut the cord, cut the leash, open the gate, pitch that cat out the front door, slam it behind her. Because according to an environmental historian at Harvard, I didn't even know there was such a thing, According to environmental historian Troy Vitesi, owning pets shows a callous lack of empathy for animals. If you own a pet, you don't have empathy for animals. I'd love to have Troy Vitesi over my place. I'm exhausted from all the empathy I show my dog. I'm empathying out the wazoo, okay? He says that uh, pet ownership is awful for pets. It leads to loneliness, boredom, lower life expectancy, and the indignity of being owned. And you know where they're going with this, right? I mean, he's not using the word, but what they're trying to say, or what this viewpoint is trying to say, I don't know if there's a they, what this viewpoint is trying to suggest is, I don't have a dog, I have a slave. I own a, an, I own another living creature as if that is my property. And that's an, an indignity. Vitesi says pet ownership is simply bad for pets. It harms them from the outset. Uh, whether they come from puppy mills, the wild, breeders. 
from the beginning, you've done nothing but hurt that dog. How dare you? We need Greta. How dare you? And you're damaging them every day by owning them. And that's why their lives are so short. Because of your callous disregard. Your pet is suffering under the yoke, says Vitezi. Are you feeling, are you feeling, are you feeling worse? Am I, oh wait, I'm not done. There's more. And so, um, because of your selfish affection for your animal, not only are you harming your pet, but your pet and you together are harming the environment. This guy is really on the crazy train with, you know, a nonstop first-class ticket, isn't he? Yeah. So if you own a pet, you lack empathy for animals. What do you think about that? 210-599. There she is. <laughs> People are suffering. Yes. 210-599-5555. Are you, uh, are you one of these cruel pet owners? Tell me your story. 210-599-5555. Let me tell you how cruel I am. My dog goes outside when it rains or it's wet out. When she wants to come in, I am on my hands and knees with a little towel, drying off her little paws, wiping away the mud and the leaves and the dead grass. And, and of course, I'm doing that so I don't have to clean the house constantly, but, but how cruel. Oh, and then, you know, bathing them, brushing them, treats. One of the very first things in the morning before I can get my eyes fully open uh, her Majesty's got to have a milk bone, or she'll just go to pieces. I mean, who do I think I am? How dare I? How dare you? Exactly. And so it would really be better, I guess, according to Troy Vitezi, which rhymes with crazy, if I just... Turned her loose. I mean, she'd, she'd be a lot happier on her own out in the streets, you know. She'd push the little button to cross and come, you know, wait for the crosswalk and uh, probably get on to Circle K, get herself, you know, pull out her debit card, get herself some some vittles, um, maybe find a nice apartment, live in, you know, have dignity. My dog would have dignity. I mean, if she could just get away from me, she could finally realize her full potential. Right? I mean, what, who, who, what kind of monster keeps them cooped up in, in, in your life like this? Who does that? How dare you? This is all wrong. How mm. dare you? Thank you. Well, I gotta say, Dennis, if, uh, it's cruel to own a pet, then Dennis Foley. Yeah. <laughs> is, is worse than Hitler. <laughs> yeah. But, but, the, it's, they're a family. It's, yeah. Oh well, that's exactly what you would say. Yeah, not, I'm, they're family to each other. I mean, I don't. They want to be here. They, the slaves want to be slaves. Hey, that's you what know, you would say. They, they, you know, they're there with their mother. They're they. No, a couple brothers with them. You need to open the front door and send them on their way to a happier life on their own, according. to 
to a environmental historian at Harvard University who says in an op-ed piece in the London Guardian that pet ownership is awful for pets, and if you own pets, you lack empathy for animals. Now, what happens when a pet shows mm. up or a future pet shows up at your door and mm. and willingly enters? Well, you know, I, I can answer that very easily. Yeah. You've 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 brainwashed them. Oh, okay. It's a codependent relationship. They think yeah. they need you, but the, but you know that's because of all the abuse you've heaped on them over the years. Uh, they 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 don't realize that they need to be on their own. You know, they need to get a job. They need to get a car. They need yeah. to start paying their own bills. They'd be much happier ultimately. We all know that. Now, I I do say that you know maybe my dogs should probably get a job to kind of help with you know dog food and you know. Oh, so now you're insulting them for being freeloaders. I see how it is. First you first you hold them captive against their will, and now you want them to pay you. I see how you are. Or I'm not saying pay pay me, but you know, hey, if they if they want to, you know you know, mm. they can they can, you know, pay rent. Well, he says They're um, all adults. You know, they're all Exactly. Time to time yeah. to stand on their own four feet, I That's say. All right. All right. Thank you, Dennis. Uh two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. By the way, I, I muffed the statistic. Uh thank you. Somebody caught me on that. It's not one out of ten households, it's seven out of ten households that have a that have a pet. One out of ten would be crazy. That doesn't sound right at all. Uh seven out of ten, I think I I think I would believe that. That that sounds probably about right, at least to the people I know. Um so whatever you have, uh dogs, cats, fish, you know, whatever. How dare you? Because it's just terrible. It's it's a lack of empathy. Your care and concern, giving them a little name, fluffing their little blanket, that just masks your selfishness and your cruelty. And what you're doing is really just like when people used to own other human beings. I mean, they had all the excuses. They told themselves... They couldn't live any other way. They need us. They're happy. Look at them. They're singing and dancing every night. They love being here on the plantation. But that's not true. That wasn't true. It's just what you tell yourself so you can sleep at night as a pet owner. This guy sounds like a lot of fun to hang around with, by the way, doesn't he? It'd be, be great to have him over the house, you know. This seems like a like a guy I'd like to get to know better. Uh two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Jack is on KTSA. Jack, good afternoon. Hey Jack, how you doing? I'm well, I'm I'm riddled with guilt, but other than that I'm doing fine. Yeah, you talk about pet cruelty and how people are, but I you know, I was kind of the same way growing up in the country, dog stayed outside till I got my own and then uh, you know things kind of changed from there but uh we had a we had a 130 pound rottweiler who was afraid of the dark she was yeah uh, yeah the big the biggest ones are always the the biggest ones always are right well yeah she'd want to tear the door down to get outside and then you open the door then she'd wet Mm -hmm. the floor you know that's how Mm -hmm. how tough she was you know yeah and then so, go outside. In the, wouldn't go outside in the rain unless she was go out there with an umbrella and hold it over her head while she went to the bathroom. You know. Now but, I wonder if this guy would think it was better or worse to have an outside dog. Like when we were growing up, we had an outside dog. He was outside all the time, and he he did fine. But um, would he think that this is like that's like free range and they're freer, or would he think that's even more cruel because you're not letting them in the house with you? 
I mean, has this guy ever had a pet? It sounds like it sounds like nobody let him have a pet when he was a little kid, and this is his revenge on the world. Exactly. I mean, that's just the way it was. I'm I'm I'm, oh. I'm 66 years old, and the dog stayed outside. They eat scraps yeah, from yeah. the table, and yeah. that's yeah. just the way it was. And then uh, you know, as we, we we've evolved to where we're at today, and uh, it's a little bit different, you know. There you go. We're putting sweaters on him. All right, Jack. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Um, 210-599-5555. Uh, here, here's the thing. I, 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 I read through this entire piece. Um, he seems not to be aware of the, the, I don't know what the exact term is, but have we not actually bred for centuries a is it domestication? Would that be the right word? Or maybe that's a maybe that's a bad word now. I don't know. These these dogs and cats. Let's just confine ourselves for the moment to dogs and cats. They are literally made for this. Okay, they're not capable. You can't do what this guy thinks you should do. That actually would be cruel. Like. You should get in trouble if you take your dog out to the country and leave her there. Because this idiot thinks that it's cruel to... No. They depend on us. They want to be with us. Either that or dogs are putting on the the greatest act show business has ever seen. You know, you come in, I don't mean you come back from a trip or you come back from a deployment to Iraq. I mean, you come back from rolling the trash can out to the curb and your dog is throwing like the VE Day parade in the front hall, right? So excited, so thrilled, so happy to see you. You've been gone 25 seconds. But that's an act. They really are miserable. They really want out. 210-599-5555. 210-599-5555. Your pet suffers, says Harvard's Troy Vitesi, under the yoke of your affection. And because of your selfish affection, uh, pets become harmful to others, including the environment at large. And let's not overlook the carnage they wreak. He points out that your dog, your cat, like I, I, I have a friend who's, who's got um, the most mild-mannered little dog and cat, just very quiet. And to meet these animals, you'd think they were just the most passive. But when they go in her backyard, they're killers. They kill mice. They kill birds. They kill whatever strays into the backyard. And that's another thing that Troy Vitesi is upset about. He says that cats have extinguished 63 species worldwide. The average feral cat in Australia kills 390 mammals, 225 reptiles, and 130 birds per year. Well, I don't know what's going on in Australia, but I'm not finding all that in my backyard. The only thing I'm picking up in the backyard is, shall we say, you know, the aftermath of eating. And I'll leave it at that. Dogs are ecologically destructive, Vitezi writes. Um, isn't that what they would be doing? I'm, I'm just, I know he's at Harvard and he's got degrees and stuff, but wouldn't they be doing that if they were on their own? In fact, wouldn't they be doing that even more? Like, 
isn't the fact that we're buying kibble and putting it in a bowl and giving them some snacks around the house, aren't we actually saving the little birds and mice and reptiles? Because then they don't have to eat as much outside. But if they were on their own, their entire diet would consist of these things that Troy Vitesi loses sleep over at night. I mean, even I could see that, and I went to a public university. 210-599-5555. I just... I feel awful. Um, and then he says that uh, our pets cause psychic wounds to us as well. Around the world, every year, dogs are responsible for killing 25,000 people, mostly through rabies. These dogs are serial killers. 25,000 people does sound like a lot. But you could probably find out that like more people die from stepping on a rake or, you know, c- cutting their cutting their finger open with dental floss or something, right? Um, they spread uh, parasites, ringworm, dog poop is the most dominant source of aerolicized er- bacteria, according to Troy Vitesi at Harvard. Mm. Well, I think my dog and I are going to have a heart-to-heart talk tonight, as I'm sure will happen in many households all over our country. It's time to get all this out in the open. And uh, I know, I know, as soon as I start, she'll roll over on her back and want me to rub her belly, but I'm not going to fall for that this time, now that I know. Now that I know how wrong this is, how incredibly dangerous she is, gosh, I don't mean one of those 25,000 people. Just saying... 210 599 We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the late, great Raquel Welch. Here's another movie moment. Uh, she's with Dudley Moore in this one, cut number five. Good. Morning, Mr. Moon. Morning. I've brought you all something. To eat. Thank you. It's so hot in here. Oh, would you help me with my buttons? I seem to be off thumbs this morning. I find clothes so constricted. We must allow our paws to breathe. Oh, that's better. Why, you must be ravenous. Would you like orange juice? Um... Oh, a succulent, sunrise, hope, pineapple. Um, but you have to be careful of the prickles. Oh, I will. Hot toast <laughs> or buttered buns. 1967's Bedazzled. We'll talk about Raquel Welch, too. Um, so we're still you know, wrestling with our, our guilt and our shame over being pet owners. It's just almost too much to even imagine how could i have done it what was i thinking how dare i michael strahan on uh, good morning america had an interview with demar hamlin of the buffalo bills uh, demar hamlin's the safety who back on january 2nd in the monday night football game with the cincinnati bengals in cincinnati went to tackle bengals wide receiver t higgins uh it was a routine football play he stood up after the play and then collapsed back onto the field. 
had to be revived on the field with CPR and was transported to a local hospital. So traumatic was the experience that the players were distraught, the game was canceled, and um, DeMar Smith is still recovering. Uh, DeMar Hamlin, rather, is still recovering. So he sits down with Michael Strahan. They have a chat because Strahan's a former football player. And Strahan asks what is really an obvious question. He's talking about how grateful he is to be alive and grateful for the care that he received and he realizes things could have gone uh, differently. And uh, Michael Strahan asks him, uh, what did they tell you happened to you? Listen to this. From the ICU, the question on so many minds, what caused his heart to stop beating? You're 24, peak physical condition, can run circles around me right now. (laughs) (laughs) How did doctor describe what happened to you? Um, Um... that's something I want to stay away from. I know from my experience at the NFL, they do more tests than anything. And in the course of you having your physical, did anybody ever come back with any, say you had a heart issue or anything that was abnormal? Uh, honestly, no. Um, I've always been a, a, a healthy, young, fit, energetic, uh, you know, human being, let alone mm-hmm. athlete. Um, so it, it was something that was just, that we, we still processing and I'm, Still talking through with my doctors just to see what everything was. Now, again, I I have nothing but love for this young man, and I hope that he continues to recover. Um, and I'm not saying this in any kind of critical way. It 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 kind of puzzled me the way he locks up. In other words, I I don't think it is a. Um, I don't think he has any obligation to tell us anything. Look, he, he doesn't have to do any interviews. <laughs> he doesn't have to say anything about this. He doesn't owe me or Michael Strahan or ABC or anybody anything. Um, I felt like he might have been told something that might be the reason or a factor and also has been advised not to talk about it. In other words, when he says, that's something I want to stay away from, he doesn't say, I don't know, or they don't know. It sounds like they do know, or they at least have a theory, a working theory. He, I'm sure, has asked, what young man coming out of a coma would not want to know what happened to me? What what in the world is going on with me? Am I... Am I going to be all right? Am I going to have a good life, a full life? Can I play football again? I mean, these had to be his very first questions. I don't think they said, geez, uh, Damar, we have no idea. So it seems like he's been told or advised, and those are two different things. Yeah, you don't want to talk about the cause. And, and and that's all. I'm, I'm not again. I'm not picking on him, uh, and he has every right to keep as much of this private as he wants. But it it was an awkward 
silence. These two are having a great rapport. They're chuckling. They're two, you know, football players. I'm sure DeMar grew up watching Michael Strahan, or maybe he's too young to even remember Michael. I don't know. But I mean, they have a great rapport, and then there's this total silence when he asks that question. What do the doctors tell you happened? 210 599 5555. By the way, there was that. I don't think it was ever really even a controversy, but there were people that were put out by his jacket at the Super Bowl. And Adrian Peterson, the former uh, Viking, was one of those. And he has now said, uh, he, he, he was on social media ripping uh, DeMar Hamlin for wearing a disrespectful jacket. It was a $3,500 designer jacket done by a Japanese artist, and it had uh, depictions of a crucified Jesus. Anyway, um, Peterson says he's talked to Hamlin. And while he still doesn't like the jacket, he now is convinced that uh, he was coming from a place of respect, not malice. He didn't uh, mean anything by it. Um, and so they've, I guess they've patched up or whatever. But that, I, I feel like, um, to me, I, I feel like you... Um, you have to look at this story through a soda straw to see this story as the story of a young man who doesn't appreciate prayer, faith, life, who hasn't spoken movingly and, to me, authentically about God and faith. You've got to be looking through a soda straw, maybe even a coffee stirrer, to say, oh, we've got a problem with this guy in religion. I just, that's just me. But Adrian Peterson, you do what you do. see how you voted on our poll question about Nikki Haley coming up. I don't dislike her. I think she's smart. I think she did a good job at the UN. I just, I'm not really, I don't see the lane here. I don't see the, the path. Um, when you start talking about, you know, we need new leaders and we need a new generation of leadership, I, I, I feel you because look at what's happening. But when you talk that way about your generation, I guess the question becomes, well, what have you done? So I, I get that you're not the generation of Joe Biden and Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi and, and Steny Hoyer and, and, and what have you. And so Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and, but why? So I know I don't want them and I get that. What have you done? What has your generation got to offer? You know, when John F. Kennedy famously talked about passing the torch to a new generation, he was referring to a generation that had just won the greatest military and I'd say even beyond military victory in American history. That's what they had done. That's who they were. So when he stood up for or on behalf of or representing his generation, that was a a credible statement. I don't, I don't know if Nikki Haley is, is that. Um, there was a story today. I saw this. Actually, yeah, I saw it yesterday. Um, 
You know Shake Shack, the fast food chain? They had to settle with an employee. They paid $20,000 settlement to an employee in California <clears throat> who claimed that um, coworkers misgendered him. Uh, so the the settlement, which included other things, was for $20,000 because the employee said, I was, you know, they knew that I was um, a woman who had transitioned to becoming a man, but they were misgendering me. They were not using the pronouns that I want. And the, the supervisors wouldn't stop it, and the company let it happen, so they gave them $20,000. I, if it was done intentionally, that's that's one thing. What is supposed to happen in the in the workplace in the world we now live in? I've had this problem. I have this problem all the time. You know that somebody is transgender. You know that they consider themselves not the biological or original gender. Whatever you think of that, it's. It, you stumble, you forget, you misspeak. When I do it, and I do it a lot, I'm not trying to make a point. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be mean. I have my own thoughts about all this, but that's not for me to press on anybody else. Or, you know. It, honest to God, is just confusing. Is that not can you not see that if you are transgender? Is it not? Are you not capable of seeing? It's just people are confused. I mean, we think you might be confused, but we're confused. People who have their heart in the right place, people who don't have a mean bone in their body, as the saying goes, are going to slip up. I don't know what even to compare it to. Maybe it's like when you change your name after marriage and people forget and still slip and call you by your maiden name. It's a mistake, and you know it is. Is this now a... Should this now be some sort of uh, disciplinary thing? Or, you know, this is going to go in your file? Wrong pronoun? We could go a long way in this world, I believe, because you're never going to change people you disagree with. We could go a long way in this world if we could just accept that more often than not, and I'm going to say something that's probably very controversial, more often than not, when other people hurt your feelings, and this just isn't a trans, I'm I'm broadening this out now to beyond transgender, if I can say the word broaden. More often than not, when people hurt your feelings, they didn't mean to do it. Like, most of the time when people step on your toe, it's not on purpose. Most of the time when people hurt your feelings, it's not on purpose. Most of the time when people, if you have changed your pronouns, most of the time I believe it's not on purpose. It is a little confusing. It is a little hard to keep up with. We have to deny what we see with our own eyes. Maybe you can do that, but that's harder for other people. That's all. That just if we could just stipulate, as the lawyers say, if we could just stipulate to that, you know, I wish you wouldn't say that, or I wish you'd remember, I told you before, but I know you don't mean it. 
And I'm not perfect. I, I, I'm not saying I, I have this all figured out, but um, maybe like a little bit of a thicker skin or a little bit of a, maybe if we just went into into situations, whether it's the workplace or school, with the presumption, hey, they don't mean it. They're not trying to be hurtful. It's Shake Shack, you know. <laughs> it's okay, but all right. 210-599-5555. Uh, this was something Corinne Jean-Pierre said from the White House podium yesterday that people thought was actually pretty funny. Uh, they were talking about, uh, or she got a question from a reporter about whether uh, President Biden is effective as a communicator in all different formats. So listen to the question and the answer the KGP gives. Is it the view of the president's communications team that he is equally adept in all settings in terms of communications, or are there some that play to greater strengths, some where he probably isn't as strong, etc.? I will tell you this, the president is the best communicator that we have in the White House. <laughs> Saints preserve us. Really? The president is the best communicator we have. We've looked far and wide. We've opened every door. This is our guy. This guy is our best communicator. I we are tell you all this, the president is the him. best communicator that we have in the White House. Mm-mm. Yeah, he might be. He might be. Have you seen their other communicators? I mean, her, the vice president, Mayor Pete. You know, you think about it. Biden is actually in. He's in the. He's he's at least in the upper half of best. He's like above the the fold line for communicators on Team Biden. Yeah, he is. Um, he's the best we have, says Corinne Jean Pierre. Um, here are some of his finest uh, moments. The best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you, that you uh, um, like to be able to, anyway, from, from, uh, uh, Char- excuse me, from Charlotte, one, uh, another line going from in, in Florida down to Tampa. Of Putin's kleptocracy. Yeah. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him uh, foot, foot. The idea that um, Los Angeles and, uh, and uh, um, uh, um, what am I doing here? For two reasons. One, to, because we haven't been able to communicate it in a way that is, let uh, me um, say it another way. But the nature not a solid meeting with um, with uh, the uh, here's what drives the driver in the states that are affected. Here's what that you can do, the drivers. Mm. Um, I will say this, and I'm not trying to be mean or cruel. I I think a lot of what he struggles with. It, it actually, I mean, yeah, some of it is age and some of it, there's something going on, I think, medically. But I, I will continue to believe for the remainder of his presidency that a big part of what he struggles with in terms of ex, of explaining policy or selling it is that these are not his policies. You know, the longer you're in politics, the more you kind of call your own pitches and, you know, call your own plays and 
these guys settle into a routine. They settle into a groove. I've interviewed enough of them to know this. The longer they're in it, the more they kind of go on autopilot. But it's because they're what they're saying is very familiar to them. You know, they have their spiel. If you're a if you're a, a candidate or a, a veteran politician, you got your spiel about the economy, and you've got your spiel about race, and you've got your spiel about and and the thing about Joe Biden is you have to acknowledge whatever you think of the man, he is out there repping a a viewpoint that is not his and never was before 2019. None of this stuff was his was his thinking, was his outlook. I'm not saying he was Reagan or he was a great guy, but he was a different person. And he has signed on to other people's ideology. The squad and Valerie Jarrett and other Obama alumni. And this is not his stuff. And when you have to represent a product you've never represented, when you have to explain something you don't really believe yourself or maybe even understand, yeah, you're not going to be smooth. You're not going to be this bad, but you're not going to be smooth. All right, on the JR poll, we asked you, are you a yes, a no, or a maybe? On Nikki Haley running for president in 2024, she's officially in the Republican race. Uh, 44% said no. Uh, 44% said maybe, and 12% said yes for Nikki Haley. New JR poll question tomorrow, or you can find it anytime, always at KTSA.com. You can find this show anytime at KTSA.com on demand. Uh, Raquel Welch passed away. She was 82. And as I was mentioning earlier, I think what I, what I most remember about her is that she was, Famous for being beautiful, and she embraced that. She might be the last star we have that will be known for that, own that. No one will say, you're not supposed to talk that way. That's objectifying women. She had fun with it. She stayed in control of it. She once said that the sex symbol persona that she has on the screen wasn't who she really was, but she had fun doing it. She says, the fact that I became... A sex symbol is probably the loveliest, most glamorous, and fortunate misunderstanding of my life. And she was able to poke fun at herself, even playing herself in many movies and TV roles. I'm going to leave you tonight with one of my favorite Raquel Welch moments. She's on an episode of Seinfeld, and here she is. You are a fraud, Dr. Tarnauer. You haven't even been to Scarsdale. (laughs) Miss Welch. Who are you? Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm Cosmo Kramer. I'm, uh, one of the producers. Hello? Sydney. No. No, I told you I don't want to do that. If you bring it up again, I'll feed your genitals to a wolf. Kids! You're still here. Well, uh, uh Miss Welch, I, I do need to talk to you about a, a little problem regarding your, uh, your performance. What kind of problem? Uh, well, it seems that uh, due to the uh, the vagaries of the uh, production parameters uh, vis-a-vis the uh, fragmenting of the uh, the audience due to cable television, uh, carnivals, uh, water parks... Out with it! Well, you're fired because you don't use your arms and you tap dance. You're like a gorilla out there. I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> I dance. That's my 
signature. Would you just keep an eye out for this woman? She's about, I don't know, yay high, and uh, she doesn't swing her arms when she walks. What do you mean? Like this. <laughs> what the hell is that? Are you making fun of my dancing? Aren't you Raquel Welch? You know who I am. Now what are you doing? Uh, nothing. I just wasn't moving my arms. <laughs> That's it. You're going down. Cat fight. So, how's George? I don't know. I won't tell me anything. Jeez. What's that? Tony? <laughs> What happened to you? That Racco Welch. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> what happened to you? Raquel Welch. That woman is a menace. Yeah. I bumped into her on the street. It got pretty ugly. Can't fight with Raquel Welch. <laughs>